0: Hi, and welcome to Real Talk with Rachel, with my wife, Rachel Gilbert. Did you know that God has a unique call on your life? But things like fear, insecurities, and lies keep us from experiencing God's best. This podcast will consist of real talk Talk about real life with real people. We pray that every episode brings you one step closer to your original design so you can confidently pursue your God-given
1: dreams. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Real Talk with Rachel. I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert, and for the month of May, in honor of Mother's Day, I brought in a few special guests to chat about things all women, moms in particular struggle with. So if you missed the last episode with Dr. Cassie Reed, make sure you go back and listen. It was so good, and we've gotten some awesome feedback on it. Today's guest is Rebecca Hargraves, who's the author of Lies Moms Believe and How the Gospel Refutes Them. We jumped into just a few of those lies today, but if you want to win a copy of her book and the Bible study, be sure to listen all the way to the end for more information on how to enter. All right, let's go ahead and jump right into my conversation with Rebecca. Hey, Rebecca, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing great. I'm really excited to get to have you on this podcast today. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, So let's just jump right in, and for people listening who may not know who you are or what you do, go ahead and tell us a little about yourself. Sure.
0: Well, I'm Rebecca Hargraves, and my husband Owen and I live in Tennessee. I was born in Texas, but I'm now a Tennessean. (laughs) And we have two little ones. Anna's three, James is one, and I write. um, I'm a blogger. I have a podcast. I speak here and there, not super often at the moment, but I have different moms groups and things like that. And yeah, and we also are kind of serving a longtime family friend of ours by nannying and homeschooling um, her daughter. And so we have, I feel like a mom of three (laughs) during the week most of the time because of that, but it's a lot of fun. It adds to the busyness around here, but it's fun.
1: Wow. So you homeschool your own kids and somebody else's, right? Yeah, so Anna is in like basically
0: doing preschool work right now, being three, so it doesn't take up a lot of time like doing her stuff. But Addie, the little one I nanny in homeschool, she's in third grade, so that's definitely more of a, a little bit of a workload there.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you were—I didn't know you were born in Texas. What part?
0: Yeah, so I was born in Conroe, um, which is, for those who may not know, is about forty miles or so north of Houston. And lived there for about 12 years, and then my family moved up here to the Chattanooga area, and I've been here now ever since. We go back to visit family in Texas from time to time, and then when my husband was in basic training in San Antonio, we got to go back there for that. It's funny. When we first moved up here to Tennessee, people would tell my parents, oh, my goodness, you have such a strong Texas accent, and now we don't hear that anymore, so I don't know if we did, and it's gone or
1: what. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, my husband and I are from Well, we live in Texas. I am from Oklahoma, but I have lived in Texas for a long time now, I guess 11 years, and I feel the same way. We never I never recognize our accent until we go somewhere else and they're like, whoa, you are (laughs) from the South, aren't you? And I'm like, I guess so. You just don't pick up on it. For yeah, yourself, exactly. And I, I shocked myself last year for the first time I said y'all, which oh. <laughs> if you're a Southerner, you, y'all is just part of your vocabulary. But for some reason, I resisted as long as I could. And I, have, I finally caved. I have joined the y'all team.
0: <laughs> it's strong. I even find myself writing y'all like in a just a um, not super important, just kind of laid back, you know, Instagram post or something yeah. like I'll say, y'all. And I'm like,
1: like, like, oh man, y'all can tell where I'm from. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Okay. So you recently wrote a book on motherhood, lies that moms believe, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to get into that. But before we do, since you really just tackled, by the way, I got your book in the mail last week and I have been devouring it. It's so good. It's just an easy read too, but I'm learning a lot. So before we dive into some of that, the parts of the book that I want to chat about, I want to ask you, since this is Real Talk with Rachel, what does Real Talk about motherhood mean to you?
0: I think it means being open and honest, because I feel like in an age of social media, we either portray motherhood as being all roses and sunshine, and you know your house is perfect, and your kids never misbehave, and there's never a ton of laundry to do, and all of that, Or you would sometimes come across these articles online that almost give the idea that motherhood is just awful. Like one of these two extremes, you either have it where motherhood is just heaven and then you have the other side where motherhood is just exhausting at all times and nothing but a bunch of sacrifices at all times. And I think we kind of need both in a sense. Like we need that picture of motherhood that's like, this is a good work. This is important. This is not mundane, like you know, lacking in purpose. But we also need to share on the hard days. And when we don't know what to do, or when your baby won't sleep through the night, or your toddler won't stop throwing tantrums, or (laughs) when the laundry is as tall as a mountain, you know, I think we need to just share everything with each other. We weren't made to walk alone on this journey of motherhood. And we just need each other. And that vulnerability that leads to that kind of intimacy and friendship, you know, only comes when we're willing to share the good, the bad, and the ugly (laughs) with each other. And I think that that can be encouraging. You know, sometimes we don't want to share the struggles or the hard seasons because we're afraid of what someone will think of us or, you know, we want to appear like we have it all together. And so we don't want to talk about certain things. But I think when we kind of open up and we kind of go first and are real and open and honest about all of it, that kind of, gives other moms the invitation to be real also and to just share the same real talk. Like you said, you know, i just, what life looks like for them right now. Maybe you're in the trenches with a a lot of little ones, or maybe you're dealing with drama with your teenager or whatever. You know, all of us kind of have those struggles and those days when we're like, I don't know if I can do this again (laughs) another day.
1: Yeah. One of my favorite things about your book and you're touching on right now is that you actually talk about one of the tricks of the enemy is to get us to yo-yo between extremes, which Mm -hmm. I think is a really big deal in our society in many areas, not just motherhood. But I I see this in lots of areas. And so do you have any practical advice on us finding balance in between those extremes? You know, for me, this may seem
0: like really just, I don't know, not super helpful in some ways, but I really like the word honestly helps me so much with that because it brings me back to what the truth actually is because, you know, one of the lies that we talk about in the book is the lie that we're supposed to find our identity and motherhood. And, When we're just looking at motherhood when we're just looking at other moms, when we're just kind of looking at what the culture is telling us about motherhood or what our friends are telling us or what experts are telling us, we then are easily pulled in one extreme or the other. And sometimes, you know, we can go back and forth between those extremes pretty easily. But for me, like I have to be able to take every thought captive in order to find that balance of what is the truth and not falling prey to one extreme or another. And in order to take those thoughts captive, I have to be in the Word. I have to know what it says so that I can take those thoughts captive and so that I know what the truth is that refutes them. And so in some ways, that may not seem like the most practical answer. But interestingly, I wrote the book, you know, to hopefully encourage other moms. But what I found was that as I was writing it, the Lord opened my eyes to so many lies that I had been believing so many areas where I wasn't allowing the gospel to fully take root in my heart in terms of just, you know, how I was viewing myself or how I was kind of thinking the Lord was viewing me. You know, it's hard to sit down and address 32 lies with scripture without really realizing, oh, the word actually is irrelevant, yeah. <laughs> actually applicable to this. So it served me. So it's a cherry on top of the Sunday to hear that it's helping other moms because it really did kind of free me from some of these extremes and some of these lies that I'd been believing, both ones that I knew I'd been believing and ones that I hadn't even realized yet that had been kind of there under the surface.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's really powerful. And I do think it's practical advice because that's another thing that I loved about your book is that the tagline is and how the gospel you know refutes them. And I think yeah. that is something that a lot of us will stand on soapbox and say, this is a lie or that is a lie. And then our answer to it is our own opinion. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, our opinions aren't always great all the time. You know, (laughs) it might just be applicable to me, but not to you. But the beauty of the gospel is it's always the answer. And I think that sometimes we want to come up with creative and fun new ways, but really it just all comes back to the gospel. And so, I really love that you just point right back to that because that is absolutely the truth. Yeah,
0: and it's interesting, you know, the passage that talks about all scripture being given by inspiration of God. I had read that for years. I mean, I grew up in the church. I had read that for so long, but it didn't fully hit me until I was writing this book, the end of that passage that talks about that it's the word that equips you for every good work. And it really hit me, well, if I'm going to view motherhood as being a good work, and it is then what is it that equips me for it? It's the word. And so if I'm not in the word, and I know that's really hard sometimes when you're busy, but if I'm not in the word, then I'm not actually equipped for even the good work of motherhood. So that was just eye-opening for me to kind of bring it home and not just say, oh yeah, the word's applicable and it equips me, but to see that it equips me even for this. Like it equips you for every good work, including the work of being a mom.
1: It's so true. So I also love that you admitted that when you were writing the book that you were really convicted because I will get real for a second and say there's been so many times where I was asked to speak on a topic or I was asked to write on a topic. And as I am writing my whatever whatever (laughs) I'm going to do, I'm like totally convicted. And I have I have this little inner, inner dialogue of, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I'm the one. Speaking on this topic or writing on it, because clearly I am not free, you know, Like (laughs) clearly I'm still working this thing out. And I felt like God really just was like, that's exactly why you're writing on it, because you're willing to wrestle it out, you know, and just that reminder that we never make it. (laughs) We're always growing and, you know, learning new things about God's word. So I love that you said that about the book. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it was pretty eye opening. (laughs) It was very, very convicting sometimes because one of the lies is that the lie that children are a nuisance and an interruption. Mm. And I was actually writing on that very lie one morning when my son woke up earlier than I expected him to. And I'm literally writing on the fact that children are not a nuisance and they are not an interruption. And I'm like, mad, though, because my son woke me up and didn't let me finish writing it. And then Mm. I'm like, Oh, my
1: word, what did I just do? Yeah, (laughs) it
0: was so
1: convicting. (laughs) Yeah, that's so good. Okay, so we are in the month of Mother's Day. And because of that, I wanted to your book has 32 lies. So people are gonna have to get your book and read it because we can't talk about all 32 today. (laughs) Um, But I wanted to ask you if there's even one or two of the lies that you talk about in the book that you'd want to chat about on the podcast today.
0: Yeah, i love that. There's actually a few that kind of all go together in some ways. The first three – well, three of the first four, I should say, because they're not completely in order – are the lies that motherhood is a woman's highest calling – the lie that you're supposed to find your identity in motherhood and the lie that your ultimate fulfillment is to be found in motherhood. And I say all those are kind of together in a sense or go together because in our Christian circles, we kind of have this idea that motherhood is the highest calling. I understand where that comes from. Motherhood, again, like I said, is a, is a high calling. It's wonderful work. It's great commission work really, but it's not a woman's highest calling, you know? And as I was kind of unpacking that in the book, it felt a little bit uncomfortable because I was thinking, well, are people going to think I'm like ultra liberal or something or like I'm against motherhood or like, why am I starting a motherhood book on the lie that motherhood is a woman's highest calling. But I did that for a couple of reasons because for one thing, That lie is really unhelpful, not just for moms, but also for single women, also for women maybe dealing with infertility, women that have had miscarriages. I mean, when you kind of wrap up your identity and your ultimate purpose and calling in life in motherhood, you really do kind of put the cart before the horse. Because really, our ultimate highest calling, and we talk about that in the book, is that we're to be an image bearer of God and we're to be an ambassador of Christ. And that's like our overarching highest calling. And then these other important roles of wife and mom and employee and minister of the gospel, like ministry leader, whatever. Like all of those things are kind of offshoots of that ultimate highest calling and kind of are actually what give those other roles their importance and their purpose. But when we instead just kind of separate motherhood out as being the ultimate highest calling, that's when we make the mistake of finding our identity in it and thinking that our ultimate fulfillment has to be in motherhood alone. And then mommy guilt comes from that because on the good days, we think we're just great. You know, we're the best moms ever. And then on the bad days, we're down and depressed because we feel like we're complete failures. And this is where the gospel comes in. If we instead realize that our identity is in Christ and it's, unshaking. It's, you just, you cannot shake it. It's, it's the firm foundation of what Christ accomplished for you on the cross is where your identity is to be founded. And so it's not any longer in what you do. It's in what he did. It's not in who you are as a mom, what kind of mom you are on any given day. It's on who he is and what kind of savior he is yesterday, today and forever. So I feel like those three all go together because they kind of each stem from each other. And I think are very pervasive. Each one is really, but they're all kind of pervasive in this church culture. I think, you know, cause you hear a lot of times in certain circles that motherhood's a woman's highest calling. And then it leads from there into kind of really putting the cart before the horse, like I said, and, you know, leads to mommy guilt. If you're doing anything outside of motherhood, if you're working or if you're, running a ministry or if you're podcasting or writing or whatever, you feel like if your ultimate highest calling is motherhood, then suddenly you're doing something wrong if 24-7 your life isn't centered around your kids.
1: So yeah, I have to tell you that whenever I first started reading your book, it did take me back. You're the first book I've ever seen approach this topic that way, which I loved, honestly, but it was definitely just a different perspective. And as I was reading it, I had the thought of, I wish this book was around. My oldest is 11, 11 years ago (laughs) when (laughs) I became a mom because my personal story in a nutshell is that my husband and I got pregnant within our first year of marriage. And so my oldest daughter was at my college graduation. And I remember that should have been such a sweet moment for me, but I actually remember thinking, so this is what's gonna happen now. Like I got this college (laughs) degree I had this thought of I'm just going to stay at home now, you know, and I have this college degree. And then I would go to church things and hear the message of, well, embrace that you you know, your highest calling is this motherhood. <laughs> Yet on the inside, I was like, okay, apparently this is my highest calling, but it sure doesn't feel like a glamorous call right now right. in this moment, you know, um, <laughs> And so I'm sad to say I did spend the first couple of years of being a stay-at-home mom in a place of resentment with that. And uh, the Lord really had to work on my heart and just teach me. And, you know, I wrestled through that. And I am on the other side now, but my kids are much older. And so if anybody's listening today and you're a brand new mom, please do yourself a favor and get a Rebecca's book because, it, yeah, I, I would have loved to have read this in that season.
0: That's really encouraging. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, when you're writing, it's like,
1: is anyone going to benefit from this? Yeah, no, it definitely, it just helps people bypass some of the ugly steps of working through it on their own. If someone yeah. can drop some <laughs> drop some wisdom now rather than let's wrestle through this for 10 years, you know?
0: So. Yeah, hopefully save you some of that pain and heartache. yeah. <laughs> exactly all, all of that out when you've got these voices coming at
1: you <laughs> yeah yeah so which would you say of these lies in your book that you have personally struggled with the most
0: i would say probably the lie that mommy guilt is just something that i have to live with i think that is something i'm a people pleaser and i hate to let people down like one of my things is i didn't realize until i became a mom just how impatient and angry i could be and so When motherhood came along, and my impatience came out, and my selfishness came out, and my mommy anger came out, I mean, it just, it was like, whoa, yikes, didn't know that was there. So with that, a lot of times came this mommy guilt. And when our second was born, our son, he was the complete opposite from our daughter who she liked to sleep through the night from practically the beginning. I mean, everything with sleep was so easy with her with James, he, in the very beginning, would not sleep longer than 45 minutes unless he was being held. And so that created some issues. And then He didn't actually sleep through the night until he was about 13 months. And so going from the first baby to the second just rocked my world. And, you know, I am not my best person when (laughs) I'm sleep deprived and when I'm up from 2 to 4 a.m. with a baby who just will not go to sleep and isn't going to have it. And so I would have this anger come out. And that's where one of the other lies came from, the lie that my children would be better off with a different mom. Because I remember one night being up with James, just livid that he was making me stay awake and, you know, as if he was like intentionally stealing my sleep from me. So I dealt with that anger. And then, of course, the guilt came of like, what is wrong with you? He's an innocent little baby. And here you are so angry with him. That's really where, as I was writing the book, I got to see more and more of the power of the gospel, because truly, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that in the life of the Christian, there is no room for guilt it's just not appropriate for a Christian. Not that you're not going to feel it sometimes. Not that, you know, there doesn't need to be like a godly sorrow over sin or a repentance or anything like that. Like, that's important. But this idea that we need to be walking in guilt and shame and self condemnation is not biblical. And what was so helpful to me as I was writing the book and then especially the Bible study was reading Romans 7 and 8, because at the end of Romans 7, Paul talks about you know, basically he's a mess. Like he's like, I am not doing the things I know I should be doing. And I'm doing those things that I know I should not be doing. And that's at the end of chapter seven, at the very beginning of the next chapter. So there would have been like no division there, you know, before chapters are added in. Romans 8, one then says, but there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And repeatedly throughout Romans, we see that Christ chose to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were still making a mess of things and completely living contrary to his standard and constantly just sinning and and carrying on. It was then that he chose to die for us. And so our acceptance in his eyes is not based on somehow being perfect (laughs) as if we could be, or, you know, on sinning less and less and less. I mean, granted, sanctification is such a thing where you will, as you grow in the Lord, hopefully sin, you know, less and you'll grow and mature, but there's never going to come a day when we stop sinning either in motherhood or marriage or just in general and what was so helpful writing the book and therefore you know really digging deep and studying the word is that, you know, I used to think I went through a legalistic phase years ago, and I used to kind of have this subconscious thought in my head that God was up in heaven with his arms crossed and his scowl on his face, looking down on me anytime I made a mistake. And I realized, though, that that's just not true, that Christ's righteousness has been imputed to our account. And when God looks at us, even on those days when mommy guilt is pervasive because of something we've done, Even on those days, he doesn't see that sin. He separated that sin as far as the east is from the west from us. And he cleansed it and he has forgotten about it. And he, you know, does not see that in us when he looks at us. And so our acceptance by God is always there. He's always accepting us. Our sin may sadden him, you know, there may be discipline that comes or or something like that, but it's always because he loves us. It's not because he's ashamed of us or condemning us or anything like that. And so as pervasive as mommy guilt can be, it's something that we can fight with the word. We can remember the implications of the gospel and say, yeah, I am feeling a lot of shame and guilt, but I know that that was nailed to the cross. And I'm going to claim that truth over these lies of the enemy that are trying to beat me down and condemn me where there is no condemnation.
1: That's so good. Even as you're sitting here talking, I just felt the Lord reminding me about the power of meditating on his word. Yes. And so if another mom listening to this today can relate to that condemnation or that mommy guilt, I would encourage you to meditate on that verse in Romans and write it on your mirrors or write mm-hmm. put it on post-it notes around your house and especially as moms when your kids are little, my kids are getting older now and so I can really do a lot more intimate study time. But I remember those toddler days, and I remember that the struggle is extremely real yes. on, on getting to really get in and dig into the Word. I remember I would even make goals of like, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. And then, yeah. you know, the one day that I made my, you know, decided to do that, the toddlers would wake up early. And I'm like, yeah. seriously? Um, so that can be frustrating. And so if that's the case, if that's the season you're currently in, I would definitely say ask God what verse He wants you to meditate on, and then plaster that thing around your house and meditate on it all throughout the day. So thank you for that reminder about the power of the gospel.
0: Yeah, it's definitely powerful. I used to think it was just kind of for eternity, you know, and just good news for later on. Yeah, I'm finding, no, it's so applicable even to now because it changes the here and now. And, you know, the verse that talks about Jesus came to give you know, so that we would have life and and life abundant or to the full, depending on, you know, the translation. And I used to think, oh, well, yeah, eternal life. Like, that's fine. I get it. But it's like, even though life's going to be hard here because we're still in a fallen world. Even now, He wants us to live in the abundance of that gospel truth that says, you know what? Life is hard sometimes, and it stinks sometimes, and we just want to curl up in a ball and cry. But even in the midst of all that, we can have a peace. We can have a form of abundant life, not in like riches necessarily or prestige or something like that, but in this inner peace that says, no matter what's going on on the outside, I know that things are okay on the inside, like between me and the Lord, and you can have that peace that passes understanding.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's so good. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here this month is, like I mentioned earlier, it's Mother's Day month. And I would just love to finish off our time by asking you to just speak any other words of encouragement to either a mom listening who might be struggling or even a woman listening who doesn't have kids and, wants to, or just whatever you feel like the Lord says you'd like to encourage these ladies with today.
0: You know, I I touched on it a little bit with the, the first lie of the book, but for the mom listening who doesn't have kids and who wants children, that's a good desire. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Motherhood is beautiful and impactful, but definitely remember where your worth comes from. It doesn't come from children. You know, it doesn't come from being married. It doesn't come from the work you do even. It comes from the Lord and who you are in Him. And I think about, you know, Rachel and Leah in Genesis who are constantly trying to one-up each other with how many kids they have. Because I feel like even then, there was this identity issue of, thinking that your worth and your whole purpose is tied up in motherhood to where if you're not a mom, then you're less than, or you're not as productive for the kingdom. And that's just not true. I mean, there's so many different ways that you can advance the kingdom. And if you're someone who's dealing with guilt, whether you're a mom or not, one passage that I just love to return to again and again is Psalm 103. Um, There's three verses in a row that especially impact me. And I believe it's 12 through 14, but I could be a little bit wrong on that, but it just talks about how the Lord sees our frame. He knows we're but dust. And that's also where it talks about. He separated our sin from us as far as the East is from the West. But when he talks about, you know, he knows that we are but dust to me, that says, you know, when you fall again, <laughs> you sin again, even in the same way you sinned yesterday, and you thought you had gotten past that the Lord's not surprised by it. And he's very compassionate and he's very tender towards us. He knows that we're going to struggle. There's a sense in which, yeah, he wants us to be more and more like him, of course. And he wants to work in us and sanctify us. Absolutely. But he's also balancing that with just this loving heart of a father who sees us and knows that we're going to struggle and is never caught by surprise. You know, he I just read Jamie Ivey's book, If You Only Knew, and she talked in there about this concept of sin shock where, you know, when we hear about someone in the church that has fallen in some way, we're like, Oh my goodness, I can't believe they sinned in that way. I would never do that. But really, our sin doesn't surprise the Lord like it might sometimes surprise each other, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know. And so just to remember that, I think, gives us so much freedom and peace just knowing, okay, this didn't even take him by surprise. Not only should I not be walking around in constant guilt and shame as if the atonement that Christ offered wasn't enough or something, but even when we first sin, like He's not surprised by it, and He loves us anyway, and He's never going to stop loving us. And so that really helps, you know, on both the good days and the bad (laughs) days.
1: Yeah. Wow, that's so good. This is one of the podcasts whenever there's this much truth in it. I'm like, I am personally going to be re-listening to this one (laughs) (laughs) several times. So thank you for just speaking truth. I really, really appreciate that you couple grace with truth. It's just very freeing and I appreciate it.
0: Well, I just appreciate the opportunity. You're so sweet
1: to allow me to share. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. So I know a lot of people are going to want to try to connect with you after listening to you on here today. Can you tell us a little bit about where we can find you online?
0: Yeah, sure. So my blog is hardgraveshomeandhearth.com. I know it's really long and one of these days I may change it, but <laughs> <laughs> right now that's the website. Um and there are other links on there to where you can find the book and the podcast and all of that. Um but when it comes to like social media, Instagram is my absolute favorite. So on there I am at Rebecca Hargraves. Um so you can kind of maybe just head there and, and I'm always sharing links on there too. So that might be the easiest.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I will definitely, if you guys are listening and driving or something, don't worry about writing those things down. I will always have that <laughs> information in the show notes. I just like you to be able to hear it from her directly also. So we actually get to give away one of your books and Bible studies, correct? Yes. I yeah. I about that. Yeah. So you guys definitely want to head over, look at the show notes, go over to Instagram. I'm just at Rachel J. Gilbert. I also always post on there and on my blog how you can enter to win those books. So Rebecca, thank you again for taking time out of your very busy day to, <laughs> to be on here. I know that I just know everybody's going to be blessed by this. It's very encouraging and very uh, timely word in due season. So thank you oh. so much. I'm so glad. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And um, we'll chat with you later. Didn't you just love Rebecca? If you want to enter for a chance to win her book and Bible study, go ahead and head over to my blog, which is just rachelgilbert.com and enter on today's episode post. Or that information will also be in the show notes if that is easier for you. All right, friends, that's it for today. I will see you next time here on Real Talk with Rachel.